a little over a year ago now that uh, we had our last live class in Berlin. It was actually uh, the, the night of March 11th. There might be one or two people other than myself who are in this sitting uh, today who were there. Uh, little did we know that night that uh, a few days later uh, I would have to uh, essentially cancel the class. Uh, at the end of the sitting tonight, we uh, did, a, did a dedication of merit uh, this morning. We did a dedication of merit to those who have died, which is a very uh, traditional way in Buddhist practice to, uh, to remember those who, have, uh, those who have passed on and, uh, and to uh, orient ourselves to the truth of the way things is and, uh, and, to, and to, our, uh, to our, our lives, our practice moving forward. Uh, I think it's uh, over 2,650,000. Uh, beings who've died during the last year from the virus. So, uh, you know, it's important to remember these beings, and the dedication of merit is a is a, a really good way to do that. <clears throat> I'll often dedicate the merit of my practice to beings that I know who've passed on. You know, the Buddha's practice is so much founded the Buddhist teachings are so much founded in truthfulness, in truthfulness, in, in being truthful with ourselves about the way things are. Uh, as most of us know, uh, the Buddha began his journey when, as a young prince, he ventured into the world and, uh, and for the first time, you know, and of course he was 29 years old, but for the first time he uh, was exposed to sickness, aging, and death. And that was, a, of course, a, a pivotal moment for him when he uh, came to a realization that human beings are subject to sickness, to aging, and to dying. Uh, he had been shielded from that truth uh, and, uh, and became aware of those, those basic truths, those elemental truths of this human experience, this human existence. That were subject to sickness, aging, and dying, and that really caused him to reconsider his life and, 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 and wonder if he could find a better way to live than the way that he was living. You know, I mean, the Buddha's story is a, is a good story, uh, and, you know, like most good stories, we can identify, you know, and, and we all shield ourselves from the truth to some extent. You know, in our culture, we shield ourselves from the truth of death. Uh, but uh, it's very important for us to, to move beyond the ways that we tend to shield, oursel shield ourselves from the truth. Uh, truthfulness is so foundational in the Dharma. You know, the Buddha famously said, if, if you give me a student who's truthful, I can teach that person the Dharma. Yeah. I mean, that's such a such an indicative statement. If you give me a person that's truthful, I can teach that person the Dharma. I can teach that person the Dharma. So 
you know, in our practice, we learn to be truthful in terms of the way that we speak, uh, in terms of our actions, uh, and we're truthful about the things of this life. Uh, we're truthful about death, uh, and we, we don't shy away from the truth of death. We learn to accept and understand and deepen into the truth of our own death, which for all of us will come sooner or later. Uh, and we're also truthful about what, we're what we feel, what we're feeling. Uh, and you know, that's something that we've talked a lot about over the last year. And you know, one of the things we've tried to do in this class is, is A, provide an opportunity for, for us to uh, look at what we're feeling, but, and B, very importantly, understand that that is a skill. You know, that there's a skillful and unskillful way to, to, uh, to open to the truth of what we're feeling. So uh, it's important to, for us to be truthful about what we're feeling. Uh, if it's grief, you know, grief is an important emotion. Uh, if it's, as I, as I talked about a few weeks ago, the anger and the fear we might be experiencing, uh, you know, in terms of the trauma that we're going through over the last year. Again, the Buddha's, uh, the Buddha's story is so indicative for us in terms of uh, providing uh, a good, good examples of how to live and how to live skillfully. Uh, not too long before the Buddha died, his two dearest disciples died. Uh, and these are his disciples that he had been with for much of his journey teaching the Dharma for over 40 years in India. Uh, his two uh, most primary disciples uh, who he taught and they went on to teach uh, were Sariputta, the Venerable Sariputta and the Venerable Mokalana, each of whom died uh, before the Buddha did, in the, the weeks and months before the Buddha died. Uh, and the stories of their passing are so instructive for us. When, uh, when Sariputta died, and uh, I'll put the sutta where this is included, the story, uh, Ananda, who of course was one of the Buddha's other uh, beloved disciples, and for the last years of his life was the Buddha's attendant, uh, you know, Ananda was the one who uh, reported to the Buddha that uh, Sariputta had died. The Buddha was so close to Sariputta and Moggallana, and uh, Ananda said he was just bereft. You know, he told the Buddha uh, that he was bereft. Uh, let's see if I can find that quote from Ananda, which I'll put in, which is, will be in your notes. Uh, he said, uh, Venerable Sir, he's reporting to the Buddha, Venerable Sir, uh, Sir, Venerable Sariputta has attained total unbinding, which of course is death. Venerable Sariputta has attained total unbinding. He's died. Here are his bowl and robes. And then Ananda said, it was as if my body were drugged. I lost my bearings. Things weren't clear to me on hearing that Venerable Sariputta had attained total unbinding. So uh, one of the things that of course is so uh, so true, so true about that, about that story is that Ananda was having feelings, 
He was sad. He was feeling grief. Uh, he was upset. Uh, this is a natural human emotion that Ananda was having. So, uh, you know, he didn't have some kind of a stoic attitude. You know, he felt what he felt. He felt what he felt. Uh, he felt like he'd lost his bearings, and he, and he shared that. You know, nowadays we call it sharing, you know, but he shared it honestly. And of course, you know, the Buddha consoled him and then gave him some instructions on how to work with it skillfully on how to work with it skillfully. Not too long after that, uh, the Buddha uh, was, giving his, uh, was giving a Dharma talk, and maybe it was his first talk after both Ananda, I think it was his first talk that he gave uh, after both Sariputta and Moggallana had died, and uh, you know, the Buddha looked out at the, at, at, the, at the congregation and said, you know, he said, the place seems empty without Moggallana and Sariputta. He said, this, this, this assembly seems empty to me, you know. And again, it's such a, such a beautiful and instructive story because the Buddha was saying what he felt. He didn't say, ah, you know, let's get on with it. You know, he says, it feels empty. You know, he, he, he expressed his pain that he was feeling. You know, the Buddha was a human being. Human beings have emotions. He was, you know, the, the difference between the Buddha and and anybody else is the Buddha just knew how to be skillful in terms of his emotions, uh, you know, which is, of course is what we're all learning to. He knew how to relate to his human experience uh, in a skillful way and thereby was able to make the most of his human experience. This is why it was so important for the Buddha to embrace the truth of death because it was part of what it is to be human and he needed to learn what it was to be human and how to relate to his human experience if he was going to make the most of human life. Shielding ourselves from the truth of our human experience prevents us from making the most of human life. And he, he somehow understood that at age 29, and I think a lot of us do somewhere in that range. For me, I was 35, a little bit of a slow learner compared to the Buddha. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, when the Buddha looked out at that congregation, he said, I feel empty. You know, he expressed his pain. And then, of course, he went on to give a teaching uh, in which he... Uh, uh, explained how, to, how we work with these feelings. So the feeling of grief is a natural human emotion. It's part of what makes us human. You know? uh, it's part of this process of being human, which includes dying. You know? And it's the way that human beings respond to experiences like illness and dying. Uh, so uh, the experience of grief is part of what enables us to understand death and, and life and leads us, as with the Buddha, to, under, to make the most of life. It leads us to happiness, these feelings that we have. Uh, so, so it's essential that we're, uh, that we're truthful with ourselves about our human feelings, that we're truthful about grief, and that we learn to work skillfully with you know, this emotion and other emotions as well. If we can be skillful in terms of our grief, this will lead us to happiness. This will lead us to uh, a full experience of what it is to be human uh, uh, and what it means to make the most of this human life. If we're unskillful with grief, we'll suffer like hell. This is one of the things that's really hard about being a human being because we've been given these emotions, you know, this incredible 
uh, palette of emotions as human beings that, are, that so make us uh, able to have an extraordinary uh, experience of life, you know? Uh, these emotions just, you know, it's just the color of life. Uh, but the problem is, is that, you know, uh, you know, they're like fire, you know, we can use those emotions to, you know, in, in, in skillful ways, or they can cause a lot of destruction for us. For most people, the emotions cause them tremendous pain, because they're not trained. Uh, you know, the training of the mind includes the training of how to deal skillfully with our emotions, essentially. You know, if we learn to train the mind and relate skillfully to our emotions, this leads us to great happiness in this life. Great happiness. You know, happiness in this life doesn't come from ignoring our emotions that are so part of what it means to be a human being. It means to work with our emotions skillfully so that actually we make the most of this human life. But if we don't have that training, uh, if we don't know how to do that, if we don't have that skill, some people are more natural at it than others. Most of us are not, you know, and most of us have learned unskillful ways of working with emotions such as grief. Uh, this will lead us to suffering. So, uh, you know, the first thing, of course, in terms of working with emotions and being skillful is being truthful. You know, being truthful. This is what I'm having. Ananda was truthful. He didn't try to hide from the Buddha. Oh my God, the Buddha's going to think I'm a wimp if I say I'm, I'm feeling these emotions. No, he said, I feel like I've lost my bearings. You know, the Buddha didn't get up and he said, oh, you know, the place seems empty, you know, without, without, my, without my cronies. You know, he was honest. He shared what he was feeling. He shared what he was feeling. So truthfulness, you know, it begins with truthfulness. And that's the beginning of awareness. So much over the last year, you know, I've kind of been using this acronym of ABC, awareness, breath, compassion. You know, and it's a really good, aware, it's a really good acronym, I think, uh, for working with uh, our different emotions. Uh, you know, and again, it's very simple, uh, but it really says it really says it all. Uh, so it, you know, it, it begins with being truthful and bringing awareness. You know, bringing awareness to the emotion, uh, and 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 really, in many ways, the most important part of that, in terms of being aware, is to be aware of the emotion as a felt sense in the body. That's the key to the whole thing in terms of emotions, to be aware of it as a felt sense in the body and to keep our awareness in the body for a few moments, right? And we usually, we have the five second rule, you know? And if it feels too big in the body, just take a little piece of it, right? So this is something that's so important in terms of being able to work skillfully with emotions. You know, and I don't want to get on my, you know, on my high horse, uh, my high Buddha horse, you know. I mean, for years, you know, we were taught, I was taught, you know, be with the emotion, feel it, da-da-da-da-da, you know. And most people, I mean, it's just not a skillful way of relating to your emotions. I mean, you can try it, but it's not what we teach. It's, that's, that's my line. It's not what we teach, you know. You know, contempt, most contemporary, a lot of contemporary psychologies have learned that. Things like somatic experiencing, where you don't try to be with anything for more than a few seconds, you know. 
Uh, so, you know, after a few seconds, you get swallowed up. So, and you're not able to keep it in the body. The key is awareness for a few moments. If you're feeling grief, uh, for a few moments, try to feel it in the body. Sometimes if it's strong, you need to let it out a little bit more with something like grief. If you, but the key is, if, you, if you're going to stay with it for a little longer, it's, you've got to keep it in the body. You know, you've got to keep it in the body. Uh, so essentially what this means is you're feeling it in the body and you're not clinging. You know, you're not clinging to it. It's just a felt sense. So, you know, if I hit my foot against the wall and uh, right now and, uh, and I, you know, I stub my toe, you know, I can be with that, if I can feel that sensation in the toe without adding on a story, oh, this hurts. So, oh, this hurts is a story. That's an idea. That's a perception, which leads to a story. Oh, I'm going to, my toe might be broken and da-da-da-da-da. And then it's like, I'm a person who always breaks my toe and always hits my toe against the wall, you know, and I, you know, da-da-da-da-da, you know, that's clinging, you know. So it's the same thing with grief. You feel the felt sensation in the body, but you don't add on the thinking. And you don't indulge in it. You know, this is something that Tennis Rubiko often would talk about, you know, self-indulgence. We like to indulge in our, in our grief, right? You know, or add on stories, you know. I would see, I would do this, you know, I would feel grief about something. You know, this is going back years and I would, then I would start just thinking about everything I was, you know, I grieved. You know, I'd think about, you know, my dog when I was a kid and all these things, you know, and just, you know, it, just all that thinking, right, thinking. So what we learn to do in the practice is just to keep it in the body, to keep it in the body, to keep it in the body, to not add on the thinking, not to indulge, not to add on this self-identification, right? You know, the aggrieved the martyr. You know, when I was in college, I wrote a, a short story. Uh, it was a really good short story. It was called The Persecuted. You know, it was, it was autobiographical. I was going to say it's semi-autobiographical. Semi, you know, it's pretty autobiographical. The Persecuted, you know. It's like we love to wallow, wallow, you know, in it. I mean, it makes for a good short story, right? It, it does, it's not so good if you want to alleviate suffering. So not adding on the thinking, not indulging, not adding on the self-identification. I'm not saying that's easy, but this is what we're training for. This is why we do what we're doing in the meditation, you know? I mean, I, you know, I don't want to go too far into this, but, you know, we're developing this ability to be in the body, to develop a pleasant abiding in the body so that we don't mind coming into the body and having a pleasant abiding about, uh, in the body. And I write about this a lot in the book, you know, enables us to have a refuge in the body that's pleasant, an experience of the body that's pleasant, which enables us to be with the things in the body that are painful. You know, if we don't have an experience of the body that's pleasant, it's very difficult to be with what's painful. If all we know is what's painful, we're going to zero in on that and we're going to add on. My whole experience is painful. Everything is painful. All I know is grief. All I know is grief. No. There's ease, there's bliss, there's rapture, there's refreshment in the body. So we feel that grief in the body for a little bit, a few, few moments. I had an experience, uh, very, really, you know, really kind of interesting. You know, the other day, uh, I was just sitting here in my flat and, uh, 
you know, feeling of grief came up around, you know, the past year. Uh, I mean, maybe there were some, had been some thoughts. I had been thinking maybe about this talk. Who knows? But the feeling of grief came up. It was strong. There were some tears, you know, but it lasted probably less than a minute. And then I went back to my breath and it, it passed. I didn't add on to it. You know, it was like a storm that passed, you know, like sometimes a storm will just on a sun, on a, on a, you know, a summer evening will just pass across the sky and then it's gone. You know, I mean, that's what emotions are like. You know, our problem is we want to grasp onto them and hold on to them. So they just pass. So, uh, so we were with that feeling in the body for a few moments, ideally just a few moments, and then the breath. The breath becomes our center, that refuge, a good home for the mind. If the breath is easeful, brings the body into a nice state of ease. We go to the breath, we connect to that quality of equanimity, of inner strength, right? So you go to the breath and it's like, okay, I have this quality of equanimity, of inner strength. That's our, that's our you know, deep dharma muscle of, of equanimity uh, that you know, really has developed over time through practice, that I can keep my mind here. I can keep my mind here. And equanimity, of course, is rooted in insight. The teaching the Buddha would often give, would always give pretty much, uh, when teaching about how to work skillfully with grief and death, would be to bring in some insight. This is the way it is in this life. As he said to Ananda, uh, uh, Ananda, haven't I already taught you the state of growing different with regard to all things dear and appealing, the state of becoming separate? What else is there to expect? He's talking about Sariputta's death. It's impossible that one could forbid anything born, existent, fabricated, and subject to disintegration from disintegrating. Just as if the largest limb were to fall off a great tree composed of heartwood standing firm in the same way Sariputta has attained total unbinding from this great community of monks composed of heartwood standing form, firm. What else is there to expect? It is impossible that one could forbid anything born, existent, fabricated, and subject to disintegration from disintegrating. So we bring in equanimity is rooted in the insight uh, of knowing that uh, all conditioned things are impermanent. All things arise and change and pass. So there's awareness, felt sense, breath, compassion. And this, this was a, you know, I mean, this is a teaching I've been giving for years and years. And of course, like all these teachings, we become more skilled at it uh, in terms of uh, the way that we learn to shift from grief to compassion, right? Compassion is the more desired state. Grief is an important state for us in terms of opening up to the truth of death uh, and, and the experience of life. Uh, but we shift from grief to compassion. We shift to grief to, from grief to compassion. So we feel grief. We go to the breath. You know, this isn't abstract, right? So, you know, it's like you feel the grief in the body for a few moments. You go to the breath. You find that place of equanimity. You can't have compassion without equanimity. You find that inner balance. And then you go to the heart. So it's not abstract. These things are all right here. They're in the body. This is why mindfulness of the body, as I talked about last week, is so important. And then you go to the heart. Yeah, I have, I have compassion for myself. You know, uh, it may begin with, uh, it may begin with compassion for yourself, for the pain of this last year, 
and the beings that you may have lost or the things that you may have lost. Uh, and then there may be compassion for others who've lost ones who are dear or compassion for those who have passed. And then compassion for all beings, you know. So, I mean, the heart doesn't doesn't break it up so much. It's just, you know, the, you know, the, the, the qualities of the heart are limitless. So, uh, so we shift from the feeling, the felt sense, the emotion of grief to the breath. And it's important to, to feel that grief, just like the Buddha and Ananda did, to the breath, to the heart, to compassion. So we shift into the heart. We shift into the heart. Uh, and, you know, and, 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 and grief opens us up to the truth of suffering uh, which is what leads us to the heart. It's the acknowledgement of suffering, the understanding of the truth of suffering that elicits compassion. You know? But if we don't relate to suffering in a skillful way, if we're overwhelmed by grief, we can't have compassion. You know? So we learn to be with grief in a skillful way for a few moments. The breath centers us, there's equanimity, and then we're able to have compassion and we're able to meet life from the heart, from the place of compassion. So this is our teaching on working skillfully with grief and really all emotions, awareness, centeredness with the breath, equanimity, compassion, the heart. And I thought I would end this talk with uh, the chant on impermanence. Uh, uh, in, in Buddhist tradition, uh, the Anicca chant, which some of you are familiar with, and often we would chant it on retreats, uh, uh, is, is offered at the time of birth and death. When a child is born, uh, they would chant, you know, and the Buddhist tradition is, is good with death. Buddhist cultures are good with death. Uh, they don't shy away from it. Uh, and uh, so we chant the Anicca chant at the time of a birth, and at the time of a death, uh, uh, which really kind of says it all, doesn't it? You know, uh, you know we begin uh, this process of dying when we're born when we're born. So what the chant says is, you know, all conditioned things arise are subject to change and passing. You know, all things arise and pass, all human beings arise and pass. When we understand this, then we're able to know the happiness of heart and live our lives uh, joyfully. So when we meet life and death truthfully, truthfully, you know, with the heart, we meet life. You know, we meet life and we're able to know the goodness in life. You know, we're able to know that there is that which doesn't die. We're able to turn ourselves to that. And that was part of the Buddhist teaching uh, to Ananda when Sariputta died, you know, he said, Sariputta's goodness did not die. You know, the goodness that is, that is a kalika, that's ever-present, that's part of the ever-present truth of life, doesn't die when a being dies. So the chant reminds us that the body dies and all bodies die and will be separated from all bodies, uh, but the goodness in life doesn't die. You know? And we turn in this life to the goodness in life, to the goodness of the heart, to the goodness of uh, our, our virtue and our concentration and our discernment, our wisdom, our love, our compassion, the joy in our hearts, which doesn't die. And when we do that, we know happiness in this life.
Sukha. So if we just want to close our eyes just for a second, I'll chant. It's a very short chant. I'll chant, I'll translate the chant, and then I'll chant it a second time, as we often do. Anicca vata sankara upatuva yadamino upakituva neruchante tesam upasamo sukho. All conditioned things are impermanent. All conditioned things arise, change, and pass. All conditioned things, all human beings, all the things that are dear and appeal to us will arise and change and pass. When we come to understand this and know this truth, we live in happiness. Anicca vata sankara upatuva yadamino upakituva neruchante te sam upasamo sukha.